Opening up, it can be seen as a sign of weakness. Help seeking can be seen as a sign of weakness, as opposed to the pull yourself up by your bootstraps and fix it yourself. And this would be a very interesting assignment, I think, for folks to really reflect on. Welcome to Unlocking College Life, real talk about all things college. The best part of this podcast is that your voice is part of the show. Other students care what you have to say. So through your questions, your feedback, and your real talk, we all grow together. Let's dive in with your hosts, Joy and Alona. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Unlocking College Life. Today, we're going to be talking about campus resources and asking for help. Because we know when you come back to campus, there's so many different offices and departments and students will tell us they know that there are lots of folks out there that can help, but sometimes it can be confusing to even find the places, number one, or to know which place to go. And so we want to demystify that process a little bit. We also hear a lot from students. I'll hear students who are like juniors or seniors or fifth year seniors that say, I wish I had started asking for help sooner. I sort of spent my first year or two trying to be super independent and trying to figure things out on my own. And then once I actually went to office hours or went to talk to one of the experts, I realized, oh man, I should have been doing this a long time ago. And so thinking about what questions do you have on your campus, whether it's about career services, whether it's about counseling, whether it's about getting help with your classes, and where do you want to go? Where are those places? I know that for on some of the campuses, it can be confusing to even know where to start. One of the things I would like to demystify is that I really believe you can't go to the wrong place. I think for students, when you're looking around, it can seem like it's a really big campus. Even if it is smaller, it can still feel overwhelming, right? But I think what's commonly the case is that the folks who work in those different help-seeking offices actually know each other and they know how to navigate the complexities of it all the time. Someone maybe come to me to ask a question. I'll say, that's not my area, but I know exactly who to call. And so I think that's something that can be confusing. And so I want folks to think about what are your barriers sometimes for asking for help because they're totally normal and what helps you to go try it alone i don't know if you've had students say yeah absolutely i think it's an excellent point right in my years at the university collaboration with your department was very very important it still is even in my current role as an outside practitioner right we routinely refer folks uh, to you all for more assessment and different kind of work that really reinforces our work. It's really lovely, right? Kind of sending the same message and really addressing the student a little bit more holistically. And so I think of, right, working at the counseling center and referring folks to you at health service, but also, for example, the dean of students, vice versa. Mm -hmm. And also not only sort of the variety of departments with whom we would collaborate or connect students with, but even the different services. So obviously, for us, it was predominantly mental health, but we would be referring students for financial support, mm -hmm. right? For crisis funds. You know, students would be very instrumental in that. And even within graduate school, where is the fund? What are the qualifications? How do you qualify? 
So it's really a variety of resources that students often don't know about, right? I think of the Office for Students with Disabilities mm -hmm. when we do ADD and diagnosing and then refer for resources and coaching for ADD and then accommodations, academic accommodations. But even this really spans so wide. I mean, we would even have students on food stamps and going to food pantry. Mm -hmm. like such a broad topic that I am really looking forward to unpacking and hopefully helping our listeners. And even the differences between, we get some students who, for example, have been in therapy for a number of years, even prior to college, then they already know how to navigate this, how to navigate insurance. But then we have students who have never been to a mental health provider and maybe don't even have insurance, right? So truly, truly such a rich topic and so underutilized. I think it will be wonderful to hear from our students and see how we can best help. Yeah. And I think like starting to get on that topic of underutilization and maybe what, especially when we're talking about mental health, obviously there can be hesitation and stigma attached to that. I mean, I think that's what's so interesting about this generation of college students is that it's so much more likely that someone's going to walk up to me or someone like you on literally the first day of class and say, hey, I already have a therapist. Like, how can you get me hooked up with one? Right. Like, that's such a normal conversation that I have all the time, which was not true maybe like 10, 15 years ago. And at the same time, I think for students to reflect on their family's orientation to that, for some families, that's something that is not talked about culturally how is mental health support perceived? So to just, because it might be that another student overhears someone else saying that so easily and they're thinking, oh my gosh, I would never say that out loud, like at a tabling event on campus. And it's important to know sort of your backstory about asking for help, not just with mental health, but with anything. Because I think I was telling Alona, I teach a class where we talk about the concept of asking for help. And it's actually really interesting to break it down because sometimes I'll ask students, okay, if you needed help getting your bike fixed or if your phone was broken, what would be the likelihood that you'd get that fixed? And for those types of things, people are typically more like, oh, well, yeah, there's experts out there that are going to be able to help you and do it quicker. I would totally ask for help. Some folks are more of the, like, they're more wired to want to figure it out themselves so that they'd be like, well, yeah, I would ask for help. But first I'm going to like watch a YouTube video about it and see if I can do it myself. Right. And so folks will think about asking for help with like a bike or a phone, but then the next thing might be, okay, asking for help about school that presents different barriers for people too. Right. Again, some people are like, yes, help me. Like, there's office hours. Great. It's going to get me to that place sooner. Other people are very oriented to want to do it independently, almost to their own like detriment, right? That they will struggle before they admit that they need help. And that's worth thinking about because a lot of times that's about self-esteem, self-confidence. It's about sort of like an identity with wanting to be able to do it yourself. And again, it's not bad, but you have to notice in yourself at what point does it become troublesome where you wouldn't even walk into office hours. We had students say, I don't know what you heard, Alona, but like with office hours being virtual this past year or so, that for some people that actually made it easier to like just drop in versus having to like haul themselves across campus to this person's office that seems a little bit more intimidating 
I don't think that was true for everybody across the board. I think Zoom can feel intimidating too, for sure. But I don't know what you heard about that. Yeah, you know, it's an interesting situation. It sort of parallels uh, how therapy has been utilized, Mm -hmm. right? Certain, no doubt that virtual therapy has become a lot more common because of COVID. It certainly existed before, but it's been utilized so widely in the last year or year and a half. And it's really fascinating. I have to admit that I was one of the people who had some skepticism about how good that work can be. And there is no doubt that it increases accessibility. You get folks oftentimes comfortable in their home. And actually, we have seen some folks do better work than in person. We often see it with folks who might struggle with anxiety or shame issues. There's something about putting a little bit of a distance in the process. And so same thing, I'm sure, with academic support and asking for help in general. One, it's accessible. It's comfortable oftentimes. Of course, students navigate having roommates and other barriers. But for those who can do that, I think it can definitely break down some of these barriers. And and that's really great to hear. Yeah. And I think it's important for folks out there to also be asking those questions, because I also think a lot of offices are in the position to be responsive to student requests and needs around that. I know for us, we have no idea what percentage of virtual versus in-person students even want. But like, I think we're completely going on what's going to be requested. And so you can ask those questions. You can ask, you know, hey, is this something I could do virtually? Is this something I could do in person? And I hope that for a lot of different campuses, that's going to be something that's much more versatile now where it didn't used to be. And I knew that was part of the barrier for some folks. If you already are wired to be a little hesitant, if there's more barriers thrown in front of people, like, okay, you have to go all the way across campus and fill out all these forms and then wait 20 minutes or wait three weeks for a first appointment, that's hard, right? That makes people sort of shut down and say, yeah, forget it. So I agree. I was hesitant too. not hesitant. I was doubtful that the connection could be as strong in a virtual appointment for like mental health and wellness. And it totally, I was completely proven wrong. Maybe you were too. Yes, there's something about being in person with someone, but I mean, I honestly, and some people have probably realized this too, is when you see people that you've had pretty close connections with on Zoom, who you've never met in real life, when you actually meet them in real life, you're like, oh my goodness, like, I really feel like I totally know this person. It's actually pretty incredible. I guess that's like the next piece though, is when you think about help seeking for mental health or wellness or issues that are more hard to talk about. I mean, that's like what this whole podcast is about is talking about things that are hard to talk about. It's interesting because let's go back to the metaphor of asking for help about a bike or a phone. You know, sometimes students will say, oh, well, of course I would do that because there's these like experts out there that know how to do it. But somehow those same students, sometimes when they answer about whether they'd get help for mental health help, they'll say no. And so my question will often be, what's the difference? There's experts in mental health and wellness Mm -hmm. too, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not that they Mm -hmm. don't get that. So sometimes what comes up, and I'd be so curious what you all think is, well, yeah, I know there's people who are experts, but like they might not understand like me or it feels so strange to talk to a stranger about something that's so personal that I have a hard time talking about anyway. Or we just, in my family, we don't talk about that. And so I think it's just important to really think about 
what would get you to go? Because there's so many students we know who mm-hmm. were hesitant, understandably, but then came. And I think for the most part, their experience is like, phew, that wasn't as bad as I thought. <laughs> Absolutely. I think the important piece is right that this is heavily, as you said, influenced by culture and family dynamics. And if you're from a family that doesn't necessarily instill help seeking or doesn't talk about or utilize or could not utilize mental health or other services, that's going to reflect. Opening up can be seen as a sign of weakness. Help seeking can be seen as a sign of weakness as opposed to the pull yourself up by your bootstraps and fix it yourself. And this would be a very interesting assignment, I think, for folks to really reflect on how am I with help seeking possibly split it into different domains. Would I seek that help for bike repair? Would I use mental health? Would I use academic support? And then sort of unpacking the stories underneath that, right? Much like for some of us, it may be more shameful to ask for money from the department Mm -hmm. when I have no food. So depending on what kind of a financial background you came in, and again, this could be in the other domains as well, mental health stigma, uh, it would be quite interesting to do reflection on this, right? What is sort of my story around help seeking? What is my family story around money? What is my family story or cultural story around mental health? And to listen to what other students say. I think that's also really going to be a big part of what we're trying to do is connecting your voices together. Because I do think it's really important for students to talk about when they sort of overcame a barrier about any of this. And that's what I mean, like going back to what I said in the beginning, I will have juniors and seniors say, oh my gosh, once I finally like ripped the bandaid off and went to whatever service, I was so glad Mm -hmm. and I kept going. Mm -hmm. And I think we all have that experience with things that are a little bit hard for us to do. Once we go, we realize A, it wasn't that bad and B, that like it actually helped, which is why those offices exist. But I don't mean to like diminish the barriers because I totally get it. I think it's also important to note here too, and Alona, I would really like to weigh in on this, particularly when it comes to mental health and wellness support. Sometimes people will say, I had a therapist when I was younger and like, I didn't like them. And so then they sort of throw therapy out. I'll often say, okay, well, like if you went to like a yoga teacher or if you went to like a, I don't know, batting instructor and you didn't like them, would you just say, oh, all yoga and like baseball is bad? No, right? So also what I have heard, so you can demystify this for me too, Alona, is that like with all the research and all of the expertise and all the different modalities for mental health, that it really is about the fit between those two humans that like has the best results. Absolutely. And listen, I am a big fan of evidence-based approaches. That is the mantra of our practice. Very, very important. But at the end of the day, it still comes down to the relationship, right? And so there could even be two different providers within the same modality, and it's still not going to be the same fit. So when we get clients calling in, we're very upfront about this. We encourage shopping around Same, well, right? Absolutely. Land on the person that is a good fit. And when you say poor experience in childhood, sometimes that's also because at that time it may have been forced. And we hear it 
over and over where someone was forced to therapy because maybe parents divorced. And, and generally, that's a good idea for support, but the child may not have been ready or may not have even resonated with the concerns that the parent has. And so it's also quite a different experience at different stages of life. And I wouldn't give up on it. And I really like the idea of certain type of yoga might have worked for me. Certain type of teacher might have worked for me 10 years ago. Maybe it doesn't work today either. Yeah. So absolutely encouraging that figuring out who is a good fit for you. Match is important. Yeah. And people in our work aren't insulted if someone goes mm-hmm. and works with someone else. We want you to have the best experience. In fact, sometimes I'll refer out, I'll, I'll say like, I think this isn't the best fit for whatever reason. And I'll say, go see this other person who I know is amazing. That's sort of the beauty of it. And in fact, it's really quite magical when the perfect fit and perfect might be a strong word because yeah. I don't know if anything is perfect, but when the good fit happens, it just flows Mm -hmm. and the satisfaction and the work that is done is so different on both sides. That doesn't mean not every client is the sort of perfect fit for us and we can still work with it, but certainly the more the stars align, you just can tell. And also they may align for now and then you might need something else totally. right? because now you've unpacked different layers and so we move on we may start with dbt for doing emotion regulation distress tolerance and now the person might be ready for more trauma work and so we will refer within our practice we will refer out we absolutely sort of that whole community of caring both incorporating students and peers but also a variety of providers the research shows it to us all the time. I see it in my work with eating disorders. The best results we get when we have a nutritionist on board, a therapist, a physician, people who know that work. So I can't say enough about that good fit and really trying things out and what fits at that time for your concerns, your personality and what you need. So don't be afraid to assert, don't be afraid to shop around for sure. And I think there's a couple other things I was thinking about as you were talking. One is that you can absolutely be proactive about going to seek whatever help it is, right? And what I mean by that is sometimes people feel like they have to have something officially wrong to get help, mm-hmm. whether it's academic, whether it's mental health, whether it's career, whether, right? Like there's like that idea, like, well, I'm not just going to go, but you can. <laughs> I have people do that all the time, say, I wasn't really sure what we were going to talk about, but I knew I wanted to like really get my well-being and my mental health sort of in a good space. I'm not necessarily in a bad space now, but I know it's going to be a stressful year and I want to think about that. Great. If you are in crisis, we're also happy to see you. That's awesome. But I just want to say from the proactive space, you also can be picky on the front end about who you might want to see. And I think that's really important. I don't know if every university does this, but I'm sure if you look you could often see the profiles of the staff, whether it's mental health, whether it's academic. And so you're allowed to care about who you see. So some people, it really is important to them to see someone that shares identities or has certain expertise or has a particular background. And so you can do it that way, or you can say, I just want to talk to the first human that's available and that's great. But I do think that that's important to know is that we know that too, that it does matter. Sometimes I make the analogy, which is like maybe not the best, which is that like as a someone who identifies as a woman and who has gone to like see a gynecologist, like I've only wanted to see women. 
right? That's not true for everybody. That's fine. But like, I think that you get to choose those things. Like if you're in a crisis, maybe you're just going to see anybody. But like, if you're being proactive, you get to make a choice and you get to have agency around that. And I think it's important. I agree with you. And I think timing of that can matter for us on academic schedule, maybe not scheduling in September, but maybe trying to schedule in August and even July, if you already know your schedule, that can have a lot to do with who is available. Of course, mental health is sort of exploding, especially now. And we may not always have those choices, but whenever you can, I would absolutely encourage you. And also you could choose a sort of a temporary provider Mm -hmm. if you really need one, as you were kind of saying, right? If it's crisis, you may really speak to anyone who can be helpful and then potentially again, move on. And maybe also to look around and see like, what is available for you? A lot of times when there's counseling offices on campuses, they are meant to be short term, which makes sense. People will say, oh, it's free. And I like to challenge that because someone's paying for it. Like whether it's part of your tuition, whether it's part of a health fee, you actually did or whoever in your family did actually pay for it, which sometimes when students think about it that way, they're like, oh yeah, I should use these resources. They are here for me. And so to just think about, like, even if that's one of your assignments from us for today is to think, what is something that I do need a little help with? whether it's proactively or whether you're already in a space of like, man, I need help. Like, what is it? And what's even like one small step you can take to start even just researching it or asking about it, whether it's your peers or someone else to consider that. And just remembering, right, that those providers can actually help you unpack what's really here. It may be you know, it looks like when I'm studying with my peers, they seem to be absorbing the material a lot faster. It just takes me seemingly longer. Why am I not tracking? Why not go assess it either at the counseling center or maybe the Office for Students with Disabilities, right, to just do an assessment for ADD? You just never know. That's what you were sort of saying earlier. We don't have to have a big crisis, but if there's even anything that the providers can help you unpack it further and see if there is anything that warrants more services or more digging. Sometimes it may be just irritability and boom, we start unpacking it and we realize there is a history of trauma and other things. So yeah. yeah. And there's also sometimes where you go in and maybe you're just there for one session or one meeting mm-hmm. and then you're like, oh, okay, I was worrying about this for nothing because it actually was whatever it was. So just to know that it doesn't mean you're necessarily getting like pulled into a big diagnosis yeah, exactly. or a big, big assessment. Right. Yeah. It could just be something normal. It could be developmentally appropriate and normal. Exactly. So that can be quite validating. Yeah. It is. And that's the other thing is that I think sometimes students feel like this is a very unique to me situation. And I think it's very unlikely. It's extremely unlikely that you're going through something that someone else isn't or hasn't. And even if it is, we'd love to talk to you. But I think there's that's often the myth is that you're going through something that other people can't relate to. And we promise. Yeah. And that's part of what often holds folks back, right? That I will say something so outrageous that the counselor or student and counseling advisor, academic advisor can possibly tackle that or hold it or what would they think of me? But I promise you, we have probably heard it just about all. And it's a judgment-free zone, right? Exactly. That's what we, what we are here for. Exactly. Okay, well, I think we are going to leave you all with two little assignments to consider. One is, what's that area that you are sort of already starting to think, yeah, I could probably use some help with that or at least some advice. What is the office? Do you even know? Is it 
just to even start looking out there or to ask other people, like, where do you go for this? Even if it's just you're just having like a side conversation with your friends. And then maybe the second part of the assignment is to actually consider for yourself when we were talking about help seeking in general, where do you find yourself feeling comfortable asking for help? And where do you find yourself being hesitant? And again, not to judge it, just to notice it. Because it's important. It's important to notice our own barriers because sometimes those are from the past or from how we've been raised. Sometimes they're just like how we're wired. But just to consider that and to see if that's holding you back. And reflecting on those barriers. What are they? And then doing some fact checking on that. Is that really true? Exactly. Yeah. So I think we'll follow this episode up at some point. We'll loop back and get some students on here talking about their experience with asking for help this year, because I think sometimes that's really helpful too, to hear other students' stories about when they went and sort of got over themselves and then to hear a little bit about how it helped them and then their advice for you. Okay. See you. Everyone take care and we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening. Please rate and review us on your favorite pod platform. Share with your friends if this is making you think about and participate in college differently. We want to hear from you. Connect with us on Instagram and let us know how it's going. This podcast is not professional advice or replacement for therapy. If you need professional advice, you should find it with professionals in your area, such as your primary care physician or therapist.